In this episode of Bridging the Gap, we host Dr. Riyad Al-Balushi, lawyer and open data advocate. We talk about his background and the path he took to become the Director of Treaties at the Ministry of Justice and Legal Affairs in Oman. He also opens up about his activities in open data, starting from his very first websites, including Oman 3D, Republic of Code, Oman Cuisine, Qanun.om and Decree.om. He diverges onto IP laws, P2P communication, and the importance of data protection laws in the GCC. He also gives advice to young lawyers about working in the government and the private sectors. He finally emphasizes the importance of inclusion when it comes to lawmaking. Please have a listen. Uh, we really appreciate taking the time to, to come on and and, and talk to us and, and talk about your career um, and what you do on the side, of course. Dr. Riyad, you do a lot of work on the side, which is very helpful to a lot of people. Before we get into all of this, what did you do to get to your current position at the Ministry of Justice and Legal Affairs in Oman? Okay, thank you, Mohanad, so much for having me on the show. Basically, when I finished high school, like a lot of people, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And I applied for many different things. I actually applied to go to the school of medicine, uh, and I and I and then like one of one of my schoolmates, um, they were like, "There is a scholarship um, that is uh, offered by the Ministry of Legal Affairs at the time," and they were like, "We think you should apply." And I applied. There was like an interview and everything. I didn't really know what 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 like what being a lawyer would be like because when you finish high school, you really don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah man. And I applied, they were like, you know, we had to do like an exam and we had to do interviews. And the scholarship that I got came with the job. So funnily enough, I have never applied for a job in my life, which is weird. So I got the scholarship. And from there, like when I finished, I was auto- almost automatically employed by the Ministry of Legal Affairs at the time. In the ministry, so I'm going to just like give some background because I'm a lot of familiar with the Ministry of Legal Affairs is. And historically, sure, we had yeah. two entities. We had something called the Ministry of Justice and we had something called the Ministry of Legal Affairs. This is something very unusual. Um, I don't believe any other GCC country has the same thing. Um, yeah, I, I, have, I have a question on that, but we'll get to that later on. Okay. Yeah. So the Ministry of Justice historically was the body that regulates like the legal profession. So if somebody wants to become a lawyer and they used to supervise courts. So um, mm-hmm. say how, how judges are appointed and that kind of thing. Um, while the Ministry of Legal Affairs was somewhat kind of like the government legal advisor and the primary function was to um, help the government in drafting laws. So when, when like, you know, the government needs to like issue a certain law or regulation or when His Majesty wants to issue like a royal decree, um, it would be drafted by the Ministry of Legal Affairs. In addition yeah. to this, the Ministry of Legal Affairs gives like official interpretations. So if a government entity doesn't know how to implement a law, they would ask for legal advice. And, mm-hmm. um, and we review like big government contracts and international agreements. And they had the scholarship program to send people to study in English-speaking countries because government contracts are in English and because when the government negotiates international agreements, we do that in English. Um, So basically, I got a scholarship. I started working for the Ministry of Legal Affairs. Um, After a few years, I got another scholarship to do my master's degree. Then I went back to the ministry 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then a few years later, I applied for HM's scholarships. I don't know if you remember them. Yeah, the, the, yeah, they were going around for some time. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I applied for that one. And that's when I did my PhD and I came back maybe three years ago. And I think um, you did all, all degrees, all of your degrees were in the UK, right? Yes. Yeah. The UK is like, um, when it comes to law, doing like degrees in the UK, and I guess Australia and New Zealand is, um, is easy in, com- like, in comparison to say the US, because the US, they have like a totally different system. Yeah. Um, so, uh, this, is our system closer to the UK system or the French system? No, not system really. Or, uh, um, the Omani legal system is uh, what, what they call like a civil jurisdiction. Um, so civil law is like, say, uh, the Arab world, with the exception of Sudan and continental Europe. Um, so the okay. UK is a common law jurisdiction and the US is a common law jurisdiction. So these two are very different from, from our legal system. But that's like at a philosophical level and how like, you know, like it's, it's quite philosophical. The day-to-day operations of how, like how say employment law works or how companies are structured or how intellectual poverty is like governed. I would say because Iran signed a free trade agreement with the US, um, our legal system is heavily influenced by by that single American instrument okay. we signed. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this answers your question. Yeah, no, um, it but does. the thing, <laughs> but the thing, the thing that I do on the side and how like a lot of people know me is from like those like online projects that I create. Exactly, uh, exactly. And, and that, that, <laughs> that, that that's that's what that's what gets a lot of people talking. And like I said off air, uh, when people heard that we're having you on the show, everyone was. You know, talking about uh, Dr. Riyad who runs Decree or who runs uh, Qanun or even even if it, maybe if I bring that up, the you know, the old, uh, I'm not sure if it's uh, still on or not, the, the website yes. where you, you, you rate your uh, you rate restaurants exactly. around, around the Um The thing is, like I've read this book many years ago. It's called One Person, Multiple Careers. It's how for some people you cannot be fulfilled by doing like one single profession. But that's not necessarily a bad thing because in some jobs, what you get is like the team spirit and how to work like on big things. Um, but it doesn't necessarily like gives you say the creative freedom or something. There are like these parts of your brain that function in different ways, like in different contexts. And like, yeah. you, you need to like, you know, do something on the side. So I've, I've always had this passion for, I think it's like creating content on the internet. And I've always made websites um, with my friends and it sounds weird. So you know how some people have like say a hobby to go like, say like they play like, you know, um, tennis or somebody goes yeah. trekking. Like when they meet new people, it's like, hey, we're going to go play pool. Um, what I do is that when I like the thing that I do with my friends is like create websites. Which give, is give like, us, give, give us that story because you, st- because I'm serious. I mean, you started way early. I remember, yeah, one of one of your first websites was back in school. If I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, right? The the thing is, like the first proper website that I remember creating, which was like it's like it's all relative how like popular it becomes. But I created, I think, um, a website for like my my like it was for the graduation of my like. Uh, year in school yeah um and it was just like the photos and profile of my classmates um okay like class of 2002 and it was like it was a very like you know simple website but but i i used to use this tool called flash i don't know if you guys remember it um it was this thing that animates content on websites yes 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 so that was like the the tool that i primarily used 
And um, and over the years, like I learned more and more on how to use like where I I was able to like it's a it's a proper framework for developing web content. So um, it had like a programming language called ActionScript, which is something like JavaScript. And from I think it was from that like website that I created for like my 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 class. Um, I got into this tool, and then I created this website with my friend Haytham Wasafi behind the nose. No sense. Yeah, of course. We, um, we, so we, we, we we basically, you know, if Haytham is listening, we've actually invited him to come on the show, but uh, we haven't had we haven't received a reply okay. yet. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, still so, like you know. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so um, so <laughs> like I putting him on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So Haytham and I we created this website called Ramat Freedy, um, and it was a resource for teaching people how yeah, to remember that like. Mm-hmm. How to like how to say use Photoshop, how to use like three D um, design tools, and how to program using Flash ActionScript. And this was like uh, say like I think it was around like two thousand and five, two thousand and six, where it got wow. really popular. Um, yeah, that's it used to get it used to get half a million page views every single month. Wow! Um, and it was very popular in the U.S., Canada, and India, like places where they have a lot of programmers. Nobody mm-hmm. in Oman knew about us. And the funny thing, the users of the website, they didn't know what Oman meant, and it was in the name of the website. They thought it was Oh Man 3D. <laughs> um, That's funny. But like, it was so funny. Um, and it, it was like, I like, I hate to say, like, by, like, just like build my own words, but um, but it was one of the most. It was one of the biggest websites for learning how to program. Using action script, um, and like suddenly, like it became like that became the focus of the website, mm-hmm. and um, and we're like this doesn't make sense. The title has the word three D and has like you know the word Oman, and like this has nothing to do with the website. <laughs> so we eventually changed it to like Republic of Code. But then what happened is that like Steve Jobs came, he invented the iPhone. He was very anti Flash. Is like this technology um, is not going to work on mobile because it's very resource intensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and he basically he is like it's, it's not going to happen on the iPhone, um, and then the iPhone dominated like you know the mobile market and the mobile web became like the thing that everybody uses, and as a result, Flash died. Wow! So uh, so basic so basically you got killed off by Steve Jobs. That's that's a, that's, like, a, that's an honor. That's a hell of a story, right? yeah. But like, but like it's so funny. Oh, um, Wow. Yeah, but th- this happened like over many, many years. And anyway, so that was one of the websites that I created my next in between. Like I did like so many different things. But then like, uh, I, I don't know what year when I came back from my first degree, I created this other website with uh, our friend Ahmed Lahiri, Mohamed Tulsanosa. I was yep. just like name dropping people that we know in common. We, again, uh, we, I've, actually <laughs> sent a re- I've actually sent an invitation. To oh, no way. Still pending. <laughs> still pending a reply. <laughs> so like with uh, Ahmed and I, we created this website. It was the thing is, Ahmed, he's such a good chef. From all these days when we were like Mohammed and I, we were in boarding school. Um, we used to like stay in Muscat one weekend, and then the next weekend people would usually go back to their like hometowns. And we continued to do this, like Ahmed and I and, and like our like group of friends, where we would stay in Muscat over the weekend, and the next weekend people would go back to their hometowns. And on this weekend we would get together, and Ahmed would actually like like you know. Uh, create a dish because that guy he's like he's actually created in the kitchen sounds so weird um anyway so like i was like this so crazy we need to create a website and then and, I and, was that's, like, and, and that was that was a good idea for the time as well right because these these uh you know uh, uh yeah yeah the the, the ratings yeah. of the restaurants and stuff like that um, were not around i mean 
Um, yeah, yeah. Not around the time. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, um, so when it comes to money, you don't have a lot of web content in many areas. So yeah. even though there would be like TripAdvisor, like you wouldn't yeah. find a lot of reviews about the actual Armani content. Yeah. Anyway, so when I was creating this website with with Ahmed, we were like, you know what? We need to have like a like a, a content plan. What would this website cover? And we're like, you know what? We maybe talk about like places you can go eat out mm. and things that you can go like you can like you know you can cook. I was responsible for like the reviews of the restaurants and Ahmed was responsible for the recipes. And somehow the content that I used to write took over and people even for, people don't, don't even recognize this was, this was a website about cooking, like, like teaching people how to like cook. It was food recipes, but it became like this. A, like a, a restaurant review website. Yeah. 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 Um, Cause that's what I rem remember it for. Yeah. yeah. It was, and, um, it became, this was before influencers were a thing. Um, I believe they're a because it was the original. <laughs> like, you know? So I used to get like invitations from all these restaurants. Like, you know, the Shangri-La, I had an open invitation. I can come eat at any restaurant at any time and not pay anything. It's not a, it's not a, uh, it's not a bad deal to have at all. Yeah. So, but then, so, but sorry. So you, so you guys were the OGs of like food reviews. Yes, yeah, is what you're pretty much saying. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and um, and like it was so fun. Like I had so many incidents. So once there was a like somebody threatened to sue me because like wow. I wrote a bad review. Yeah, I'm like I'm like you guys realize I'm actually a lawyer. Um, and then <laughs> and then picking like, up the wrong and, fight here. Yeah, yeah. At the same time, there was a restaurant review website in Kuwait that got sued by a restaurant. Um, and people thought I was going to be next. And like an Emirati news website wrote about the incident. Um, and like, I used to get hate mail, which is so funny because <laughs> I, I used to do actual reviews. Um, unlike now, like influencers now, nobody actually reviews anything. They're like, oh, it's delicious. And um, you need to come here because everyone's paid um, to like, you know, to take yeah, photos yeah. of the food. Yeah, um, you're not going to get paid and, and, and trash the place. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> uh, the thing is, I transitioned. Like, I, while I was there, my cuisine was like, like, because I had to leave to do my PhD. Um, and that was the time where influencers were a thing. And the Shangri-La would invite all influencers. They would, they would sit them on a long table where they would take selfies and just say, it's delicious. And I would get my own table where I'm like the legit reviewer. Wow. You, you um, remind me, you're, <laughs> have, you, you've, have, you seen, have you seen the movie? Uh, what is that? Uh, Ratatouille? Or, I don't know you're yeah. yeah. Um, so you're I haven't, but like, you're I know. <laughs> you should see <laughs> yeah. it because the food critic there is... Uh, is yeah. yeah, he's an evil guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, but like, that's good. But yeah, but the Iranian cuisine was amazing. Like, I think it was a cultural phenomenon. Um, because mm -hmm. like everybody knew about it. Like, restaurants would like they would like uh, I would meet someone say for breakfast, and then they're like I would see them coming back. They're like, what's happening? They're like the, the restaurant's not open yet. I'm like, what? And then they would see me and just like open, yeah. even though wow. my my <laughs> face yeah. my face was not on the website. Like you can't, you can't like you. I don't know how to explain it, but like Moscow is such a small, like you know, yeah, small yeah, town anyway. Everybody, yeah. they they knew who you were. <laughs> yeah, um, and it was amazing because it was, uh, it it was like I would put how much things cost, yeah. and that's like not common even today. Like you can't go to a website and somebody would tell you that's how much I paid. Uh, yeah, exactly. But but yeah. I mean, but, the, uh, but the question is, do you, do you, are you still doing this? Uh, I mean, no, I haven't checked, no. but uh, but no. you stopped. Yeah. So what yeah. the thing is, I I even like I had my own iPhone app. You no, know? there was our magazine app. Um, oh, I, didn't really cool. I didn't know that. I didn't know <laughs> yeah. that. I knew I knew about the website. I didn't know about the app. Okay. It was really, like it was amazing. Uh -huh. uh, but anyway, so what happened? I went to do my PhD. 
and then stopped. And I thought, like, I had, like, when I came back, I didn't think. So I, uh, Ahmed had, like, uh, someone he knows, one of his relatives, where mm-hmm. we were like, she's going to do it. And then, like, it just didn't work out. And when yeah. I came back, I thought uh, it just didn't work with my profile somehow. Um, yeah, exactly. People, people, uh, people just wouldn't take you seriously because yeah. um, if you're doing restaurant reviews. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I stopped and I'm like, I'm so happy that I stopped because I don't want, like everybody hates influencers. But yeah, yeah. but, I'm, yeah, but I, I thought it was, it was so much fun when I was doing it. But anyway, so when I, before I went to do my PhD, I started Qanun with this other colleague of mine, Yusuf Busaidi. Yeah, um, yeah. T- tell us more about Qanun. The thing is, Yusuf and I at that time used to, used to work with me in the Ministry of Legal Affairs. And the Ministry of Legal Affairs is actually the body responsible for publishing the laws. Um, but we had such like difficulty finding us. Uh, that's, that's, like this. To me, that's a bit, that's stunning. I mean, yeah. how, how would you, uh, yeah, how did people work before? I, I, I don't get it. Were the they thing, actually looking the, through files? So the thing is, we do, the way it usually, like the thing is, yes, the government publishes the official gazette on a weekly basis as mm-hmm. a printed document. Mm-hmm. And every, at the end of the year, they publish something called the, the law volume. So mm-hmm. they, they collect all the laws and they give you like one huge book. Um, we, did, we did have like electronic systems in the ministry itself, but they're like stuff that you would think were made in 1994. It's just like not user-friendly. It doesn't like, you know, nothing works. Um, they only have like titles and um, I, I, just, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. But anyway, uh, the government also has a website where they publish the laws as well. Um, and you, if you try I've seen, to go I've on seen. that... I've seen government websites. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So like they have the document, but you go to like and do like search and nothing comes up. Yeah. Um, so like, this is like ridiculous. So we created something that we need to like, we, we just, for us to work, we need to have access to these documents. The, the website basically started as a Dropbox folder. So we, we just created like a Dropbox folder and mm-hmm. we downloaded all the laws as PDFs and numbered them by like year and number. Mm-hmm. Um, then we added the titles to the file name. So when you search in Dropbox, the file name would have the name of the law. Um, yeah, very simple. Yeah. Then it became like, we're like, you know what? We have all the data. Let's put it like, you know, as a website. And Qadun is basically a blog. So like the same tools that I used to create the Armani Cuisine, they are the same thing as Qadun, which people don't like, you know. So like the thing, like many of the things that I'm doing now, people think like, how the hell like, did you learn all of this? Um, but it was gradual. Um, so yeah. every website that I created, like I learned something new and then like I applied it for the next thing. Um, and we started with Qadun, it was only like PDFs. So you would have the title of the document and like a PDF. Um, and my colleague used to like spend like a crazy amount of hours to convert a lot of like our old documents to put them as text. So and this is out became, of your own time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, not only time because Qadun today is like, it's one of the biggest websites in the country. Like people don't realize, but it's visited like, you know, it gets like, like more than a million views. Um, like, you know, for something very specific, um, everyone uses Qadun today. Have, it has. Have you, it have, has you, have you thought? Have you thought of making this a subscription-based website? Especially, I mean, law firms. I could imagine English-speaking yeah. lawyers in Oman loving yes. this app, this free app that's the, that is, yeah. it makes their life way easy. Why? Why don't you make it subscription-based? So, what we th- number one, like Qanun, when we start Qanun, is only in Arabic. Uh-huh. So the content already exists. Decree, our English version of the project, yeah, uh, sorry, we, created it, we created it at the beginning of January um, to run Qanun because we use a lot of like automation tools. 
Um, and we created like a system like on how to update it, that kind of thing. It doesn't actually require a lot of time or effort because we, we have like the bulk work took us like uh, thousands of hours, but it's done. To maintain it now, it's easy. Uh, and like I said, it's being like the judges, that's what they use. Lawyers, that's what they use. The College of Law on their official website in SQ, they link to Hollywood. <laughs> the Ministry of Legal Affairs, when people are drafting laws, that's what they use. Yeah, I mean, um, a, a person like whole, me who knows absolutely nothing about law, I, I certainly go myself and sometimes if, yeah. know, if I'm in doubt, I'll just type in a word that and, and find out what the what the background yeah. behind it is. Yeah. And um and we we did like very good search engine uh, search engine optimization. So if you search for like the word royal decree in Arabic or Sufal Bali, you'll get like millions of results on Google. We are number one. Yeah. So uh so like when we didn't do not, there was zero marketing. I didn't like WhatsApp everyone on my list and like hey check my website. But like you know, yeah. like that's um, what I do with nothing. my podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's no shame in playing the game. You know? <laughs> um, but like our content was organic, and like it was all search engine optimization. Um, but anyway, so we think we we like you know we we solve like a problem that people are like you know struggling with. But but you, st- but you still only... haven't answered the question, Riyadh. I mean, are you yes. are you gonna are you? Oh, yeah. gonna sorry, sorry. So I, I'm just giving you the context. I'm just giving you the context. Okay. The Arabic. The Arabic, we think it's like, I personally, I would never want to lock it behind a paywall because I think that's something so fundamental to people. There's yeah. not Netflix or Spotify where, you know what, I'm going to like monetize and like people would pay. Um, and and like you said, it's like, there, it's available in Arabic as well. Yes. I mean, if they wanted the to thing, print it out, they can. So they can. Yeah. The, there are blind or many people who use the internet using like accessibility tools and yeah. they can't read the law anywhere except on Qanun. Because wow. it's machine readable. Because government websites, like you know, that's something so fundamental um, to them. So if we think of a way to monetize Qanun, I would do everything I can to make sure that this business model does not restrict access to the content. Mm-hmm. Uh, have, you, we, have you received any any uh, backlash from the government or anything like that? Or they said, oh, you know, why are you trying to twist our arm or something like this? Uh, why are you doing this? You know, have you have you, have you received any backlash? Kanu, when it started, it happened very like gradually and like organically. People did not notice us. Okay. So people don't remember. Like, you know how you don't remember when Wikipedia was started. It's something so fundamental to the internet and you don't even know who runs it, how it works, how it's funded. Kanu started organically as well. And like people did, don't remember like how it happened, who told them about it, how they discovered it. Um, so, so I think we're at such a late stage the government cannot complain now, uh, which sounds weird. But yeah, we became yeah. so big, we, there are certain things we cannot do where we had calls from certain government entities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, so, I mean, there are certain things. But let me ask, why, why would they have a problem with it? Like, what, um, what would be the issue? Because it's like the biggest repository of like information when it comes um, to Omani law, it's amazing. It's like yes. a, a public service, like a, yes. uh, a, a like you know, it's like it's it's not even yes. it it's actually should be funded by the government. Exactly. Anything you know, the, we had that mixed reaction. So I've had actually meetings with very senior government officials. Some people were like, "We can't believe this. We need to pay you money." Um, but there are some people uh, like uh, um, the, the the thing we're facing. The there are two issues. Number one, we're so dominant people do not cannot believe this on the government 
people think there's a government website. Yeah, yeah, that's, ah, that's actually that's what okay. I thought. Yes, yes. Uh, like half, no, I, I, don't, I don't have a percentage, but the majority of our users think we are the government. And like, how do I tell people that I'm not? Uh, <laughs> I'm like, we, yeah. the, 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 um, but we do have a disclaimer saying this is not an official website. If you want to blah, 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 like, you know, re rely on the law, you need to actually check the physical copy of the official gazette. Um, so that's like a challenge we're facing. There are certain things. If we tweet something, some, some news websites would quote us saying the government said this and this yeah. happened. Mm -hmm. um, so, okay. um, so that's like one issue. The second issue is that we do have like a big catalog of content, um, but there are other types of content that we would like to publish and it's legal to publish them. But when we did, the government entity responsible for them was not happy and we had to take it down. Okay. So, okay. Um, so there is more content that we can, like we can make this website even more useful, but it's, the thing is because we got, it's so weird because we got so big, everything we do now is under the microscope. Like if you like the thing is, so we, the, the Qarun itself, we think it can be sustainable, but we were like, our next project was decree where, you know what, now we're going to start translating the laws into English, translating laws is a totally different like That's exercise. Nightmare, I would um, yeah. So, um, so like it's actually content that we're just like repackaging in an accessible way, but the English we're actually translating a lot of the laws. Um, and that is not sustainable. You cannot do it for free. It's just like not, it's humanly not possible. So we are thinking of business models on how to make decree sustainable and subscription is our number one option, yeah. but we're actually testing the market. So we launched it at the beginning of the year and we're doing like, we're going to do like a whole year to see how much we can do. Do people actually need it? What kind of feedback we get? And based on this, we'll try to figure out the business model because that one is humanly not possible. I mean, most of law firms in Oman have Omani and like Arabic speaking lawyers. And, and they can use Qanun for free. So, you know, I, I could see how they wouldn't want to pay that subscription. But, you know, there are, there uh, yeah. are more the firms from yes. outside. There are, there, so yeah. there are competing products. So there are other companies that produce uh, services to provide laws in English. And law firms here do pay for them. Uh -huh. um, okay. But the quality is not good. And Oman is such a small market. Nobody's going to pay attention to it. So those companies do the GCC as a whole. Yeah, and, and the, the 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 amount of romantic content you have on it is extremely extremely limited, um, and also it's like the transition is not good. The website is not accessible. It's out of date. So what we have created already is the biggest online repository of English laws, Romani laws in English anywhere, paid or otherwise, um, and already because you need to register to use decree, and we have evidence that everyone here has like. All the law firms have registered, all the banks have registered, all the international consultants have registered, although like, you know, everyone is already using decree and like in-house law firms and like in-house lawyers and law firms. So do you, do you guys, and, and this is sort of, sort of shifting us into uh, a different topic, but do you, do you run into a problem of intellectual property in this case? I mean, I know it's it's open it's open data it's open source, yes. but and 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 it's it's public information. But the fact that it's on your website, who technically owns this? And because because like you mentioned, so many different entities now refer yes. to to Qanun as an official website in in terms of a reference. So when it comes to the legality of the IP, yes. who who yes. owns it? 
And if you're going to translate it, do you have the right to translate it? Because IP yeah. is a huge issue, at least in the GCC and our in in the Arab world in general. And w yeah. I know I know you're an expert and a specialist in information technology law. So maybe you can yeah. give us your insight on that. Yes. So I think we do have like issues with Dutch property in this region, but the issues that I face are not. Maybe you would think that people do not respect. IP, but like we do not have we do not have enough like you know protection. But what I'm noticing nowadays is an obsession with IP, where everyone would like you know this is my thing you can't use it or like you need to protect this, um, or like like you know um, that the thing about Kanun, we're using content that's in the public domain. All GCC copyright laws are similar in this, where they have a provision that says official documents are not covered by copyright law. They're not protected whatsoever. So something like the law, it's in the public domain. Nobody owns it. Anybody is supposed to is, is supposed to be able to copy it because for you to be able to use the law and like share it and implement it, you need to be able to freely freely use it. Um, the issue that we're facing is actually with people claiming like government entities claiming they have intellectual property over content that's in the public domain. And we're like, you don't own this. Anybody is supposed to be able to copy it. When it comes to translation, different laws, the GCC has a different application. So in Oman, official translations of laws are in the public domain. So if, say, a government ministry translates a law, that's not protected. But say, if decree translates a law, that's a private translation and it's protected. Uh, I believe in other Gulf countries, maybe Kuwait, I, if I'm not mistaken, translations of laws are also in the public domain. So that makes it a bit like, you know, complicated. The obsession with government data, like government obsession over copyright is a bit funny because the Iranian government has this other program for like open data where they try to encourage government entities to sh share their data so that anybody can use it. Um, and under that philosophy, the government is attempting, like, you know, to, to put as much data as it can outside and explicitly tell people that you can use this for commercial and non-commercial purposes. But it's a mental hurdle for people to realize, oh, they're like, we put so much effort into this. Why should you be able to use it? And they're like, why? Like, it's not reasonable for you to make money out of it. But I'm like, this is content that was created by the government and the government does not need the incentive to say like why do you need copyright but it's it's a very difficult mental hurdle to for for them to like you know overcome um at, what, what they're doing here is that the government is trying to create this like open data initiatives and they create like awards so there's like a sultan qabus award for e-government excellence and there's like an open data category so some ministries are trying to, uh, to have, publish have more you, and more. Have you tried to participate in that? Maybe, maybe not under your name, but uh, you know, as you know, as as uh, one of the thing is that I wear I wear many different hats. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> so I am the government, and I am civil society, and I'm telling you, maybe I'm going to create a business with decree. But I mean, but I, yeah. so I work with the government in open data. So I'm like, I have them create the award, like the policies, the framework, the national strategy for open data. Yeah, so it's a I'm bit like, of a conflict of interest. Yeah. Exactly. I'm like, <laughs> he's literally. on both sides. He's making the award and winning it. So it exactly, it doesn't make sense. But I, but I, I worked with many ministries on their open data initiatives. So, so they usually call me to say like, how can we win? Look, yeah, I, but it's I very actually, interesting. 
I, I want to ask you about the status of, of, of information technology within our government. Uh, let's put it yes. that way. Um, and let me start with this. So this is a question that's been on my mind for some time. We were not able to make Skype calls. We're not able to use any P2P yes. communication tool before the pandemic. Why did we need a pandemic to go from not being able to use that when we were given so many reasons? And I'm not sure if you remember the reasons, but I think one of them was, oh, you know, Facebook needs to create, uh, you know, an office or needs, yeah, to, yeah. needs to have an office yes. in Oman or something like this. Yeah. I'm not, not sure how legally uh, correct that yes. is. But, <laughs> but anyway, so why did we need a pandemic to get from that point to this point? Yeah. That's so crazy. Um, but I, the thing is, the, I think there are two, like the conspiracy theory of it um, <laughs> would say that the, like, you know, the government is obsessed with like, you know, security and they don't want to open up channels where they're very hard to monitor. Does, does that make sense? So like from a security point of view, um, they don't want to allow like, you know, technologies that are encrypted and the, the government cannot monitor them. But I don't believe that's true because WhatsApp is encrypted and like GBL is encrypted. Um, yeah. Um, my theory is that this was economically driven. Um, the, like, say something like, like, say, it's all of these, like, voice over IP technologies. Um, they compete with the, like, te local teleco telecos. So, like, they're, they're going to say, you're not going to make international phone calls, or you're not even going to make domestic phone calls if you can sure. use Skype. And the problem is that the government is a shareholder in Armanta. So, mm -hmm. If the government has an interest in, in like, you know, the local telecom company making money, they're not going to create like these crazy, like, I, I, that's my theory of it. But the thing is that it's very, very short-sighted because they, I mean, the telecom companies need to adapt to new services and providing like, like, serve, like you know, the connections that the users need. Um, and, and it's not just like, in Amman, by the way, right? It's, I mean, I see that in, in other countries as well, especially within the uh, Yes, but I believe we are the most extreme. Yeah. It, oh, yeah. yeah. It is. It, yes. it, it does. It does exist elsewhere. Yes. yes. But uh, yes. like in Kuwait, it's it's pretty much open. And and you do see. Um, I mean, as far as like telecommunication companies, um, just just due to the fact now the the offerings, at least from like internet packages to to like exactly. voice 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 over internet, like all all those packages have to be better packaged, have to be a bit more competitive because at the end of the day, you're going to get one of two. People still want to communicate. And if you're missing part of that pie, you have to make yourself more attractive. Yeah. So yeah. I think it just boils. I, I think that's a really good way of putting it, doctor. When you think about it, why would I want to lose money to something that I can control pretty much? Yeah. And if it's in my interest to not make it like fully open or fully accessible, why would I do it? Yeah. But now yeah. it's accessible. So what's, what has changed? They had no, they had no choice but to open it up, and I think like they, they like number one, they had no choice. If they had, if they were able to control it, I don't believe they would. They would have allowed us uh, because yeah. there is no true independence in the telecom regulator. Um, if it was truly independent of the interest of the government making money and of the interest of like these telecos, we would have been open, like you know, because all the arguments they had did not make sense. They had like a security. Were these were these uh, you know economical arguments that they had? Were these actually factual? I mean, now now we. I don't believe they're true. Yeah, so I, I don't, now they're still making money. They're still making loads of money. Exactly, exactly. The thing is, uh, they would never say this that the reason is actually economic. They they argue that it's like security, 
they would argue that it's consumer protection. They're like, oh, if you like, you know, pay Scott. But like, you, I can buy from Amazon, like, you know, and like, I would have zero consumer protection because I'm based here. Um, they would say like, they had all these arguments that do not make any sense because other means of communication, like, you know, either like messaging, email, like, you know, whatever, the, the, the same arguments apply to that. Um, yeah. Uh, but I think the, the thing is, uh, the, the opportunities that something like Zoom created um, and how it became so fundamental to the way even the government works nowadays, it's impossible for us to go, away, to go back to the way things were. Even though, like, Skype is still blocked. Yeah. Uh, WhatsApp, WhatsApp, yeah. Exactly. WhatsApp calls, I believe, they're still blocked. You know? They're still blocked, yeah. Yeah. yeah, which, which, which to like, me doesn't make sense. The zoo is open, but exactly, like exactly. I mean, I like there are. I don't know in what like I would speak to people from like uh, outside the country on Zoom. Like we would send a link, and then we would chat on the phone as like a normal call. Yeah. I mean, like uh, we're doing right this, now. Exactly. This podcast is brought to you by exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh yeah. Exactly. So, 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 uh, Doctor Riyad. So, a question along those lines as well. Um, beyond like the uh, the um, the phone calls and and, and the voice calls, um, just recently there's been like this huge surge and in interest in decentralization in Web three and a bunch of a bunch of these like token terms that have been thrown around all over the place because of like the cryptocurrency uh, I would say revolution and the surprising part at least to me has been this adoption in the GCC of these entities and i just wanted to know from a legal perspective um th there are still some countries in the gcc that haven't adopted cryptocurrency at all and even even from a web3 perspective i'm talking like decentralization not knowing okay so uh, i mean privacy is a huge factor here and i i guess also yes. security is also a huge factor but but um now you have the first license to be awarded to a cryptocurrency uh, marketplace in Binance, uh, given in Abu Dhabi, um, in Dubai, um, in Bahrain, and uh, just recently, I believe in 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 Qatar as well. And I'm just I'm just wondering what what type of do, you, do you, what type of legal framework are we looking at, and how do you do you see a future in in Oman when it comes to cryptocurrency, and and maybe even in Kuwait? I'm not I'm not really sure because when when you listen to like the Central Bank of Kuwait, they're always like don't and all that but then you listen yeah. to like the the central bank of bahrain that is a direct um owner of like the their their uh their their marketplace rain rain.bh and and it's it's fascinating it's like two polar opposites and i'm not sure why i'm not sure where where the problem is and i was hoping you could shed some light on that when it comes to like regulating say new technologies and maybe just the internet or like like you know e-commerce and all these like web-based technologies you need to have like some sort of like very basic framework at the beginning say like you know how you need to have at least say intellectual property law so that those are protected you need some sort of like e-commerce law to recognize that these transactions actually are, are recognized by law um, one of the most basic laws that you need for you to be able to have like an internet economy is like data protection laws um, mm -hmm. And for something so basic as data protection laws, Qatar, I think, had it since maybe, like, at least, I don't know, maybe five years ago. Um, and then Bahrain followed, like, a couple of years ago. Oman, UAE, and Saudi only issued their laws maybe six months ago. 
Kuwait doesn't even have a data protection law until now. And Dude, Iran I know. Said, <laughs> I know. What, what, is that, what does that entail? What does the what does the data protection law entail? It's, it's the most most basic thing. Like when you go online, how can what happens to your data? Like, can do you have the right to like ask Zoom to delete your calls? What can mm -hmm. Zoom do with the data? Like, you know, Facebook can they get your email and like use it for something else? Okay. Um, what what like you know something very very basic about how your data is used on the internet? And until today, so Iran and Saudi, their laws came out like la late last year, and Iran only uh, like early this year. It's still not enforced. The these laws will be effective next year, I think. Um, okay. So when it comes to something so basic, we still do not have it. So um, there is this challenge of the law being able to keep up with new de developments um, developments on the internet. So, so um, when it comes to say, like Web3, something as like, you know, I think when blockchain happened at, at the, like early on, People were very excited, even though there, there were no actual real life applications to, I guess, um, yeah. blockchain, except maybe <laughs> just now. It's still, it's still considered new. I mean, the legal system takes a lot of time to be able to keep up. And I don't know how soon it will take them. The only country that I know has some sort of regulation, I believe, the UAE. And I think it's only at an Emirate level. So I don't know if it's Dubai or like Abu Dhabi Emirate. Um, I, yes. I wanted to ask you something. I mean, this is this is related to what we were discussing. But I mean, we talked about digital transformation and and yes. uh, what you know, what's mind-boggling for me in Oman, for example, is that, for example, you see organizations that are way ahead when it comes to digital, digital transformation. They're way ahead, like the Royal Oman Police. And you know, we've talked about this in the podcast before. But what I don't understand is why are so many other entities lagging behind? Now, if the laws, like you said, are not there in place, then how come the ROP yes. uh, are able to do that, but the others are not able to do yes. that? The thing is that the government is a beast. And I think it's very difficult to take. Um, you can like you can change people, you can change ministers, but it's not easy. Um, at times, the problem might be at the leadership level, where say the the minister of like a certain ministry might not be tech savvy, and they're like not willing to engage. They're like I'm only doing this on paper. And at times, you change the minister, and the middle management would be those people who are like you know from like the stone ages. Yeah, and at times. And at times, because like say, some, you know, when 2011 happened and we had to hire like, you know, all these people, yeah. um, we got people who have been unemployed for like years and they went to like small time random colleges. Um, so you would end up with someone who's like a web developer who had never created a website. So like the problem comes at so many levels. Um, but I think one of the biggest challenges of why the government, some, some entities are more successful. Mm -hmm. Especially say someone like ROP. Um, number one, ROP is not subject to the tender law. So the way that it can hire companies to do certain projects is not the same as other ministries. It does not need to do a tender. It doesn't need to go like all these processes. Um, it doesn't have the same kind of like supervision other ministries have. It's not subject to the regulations of the Ministry of Finance. So um, it doesn't have to say, oh, please, Ministry of Finance, give me this money. And ROP generates its own income. So it gets money from customs and it gets money from like, you know, um, civil, uh, what do they call it? Um, civil status administration and like also like traffic fines and that kind of thing. So ROP is rich. They have a lot of money. They're not subject <laughs> to all, they're not subject to all these laws 
Yeah, which makes uh, sense. Yeah. They're not bound by the tender law or the financial law, and they also like pay the 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 like the salaries of ROP is higher than the salary of your average civil servant. So they kind of like they are more able to attract talent than say um, a normal like ministry. This is like a very technical like reason why this happens, and yeah. I think people who are in charge of ROP they have like a vision. Um, and they work on capacity building that kind of thing. So ROP is a success story, but like, you know, it's a government ministry that did it. Like it's a ministry entity that did it. Um, other ministries, they do have challenges, but it really requires like leadership. I think leadership is the most important thing. Nowadays, um, I don't know if it's a good thing, but like the government is more working more towards like PPPs and they try to find someone who would be willing, like a company that would be willing to come up with a solution where they would pay for the whole service and then share the, share the like, you know, service fees with the government to recoup their investment. Um, I don't know if that would be successful. Uh, the government has been trying through its like digital transformation program to like, you know, encourage ministries to do this. Um, but really, but like for over the past few years, we were not doing well, like, you know, economic, like, you know, money wise. So many ministries had no resources um, yeah. to actually create anything. Hopefully now, I'm speaking like an official government person now. Hopefully yeah. now with the increase, thank you. No, no, <laughs> with the, with the increased uh, oil prices, things might improve. Yeah, yeah, and we've see, we've reaped the benefits of that at least. <laughs> the last couple of days, we've seen a good uh, uh, good rewards, I would say. Um, okay. Yeah, but ROP, ROP to answer your question, like ROP uh-huh. is a very unique system where like they they the whole infrastructure supported them. No other ministries can, no other ministry can do it. So, so yeah. I, I just want to say something. I, I don't think it's only Oman that's facing this issue. I believe that we have the very similar issue in Kuwait. Um, we just recently launched, or the government did, uh, a new uh, encomp- encompassing um, digital app that sort of serves the, the 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 civil population in every form and way. Yet there is still a sort of lack of implementation from every party involved which is i think the biggest issue as you guys mentioned like it's, it's really it's like, sort of it's it's having like these certain entities that don't want to change when the whole country is moving towards yeah. something yet yeah. you still have those and they still have the option of not moving i think that's where we face the problem we have yeah. similar problems because uh you're like okay Hadi wazara doesn't want to do this and this was auto wants to, but this other one doesn't want to because yeah. then certain processes no longer go the same way that they've always yeah. gone for the last 40 years. Yeah, but like, but really like the pandemic has retransformed the way, like even like you guys knew the GCC secretary, like the actual GCC, um, yeah. they do a lot of work online nowadays. Like we have GC meetings all the time on Zoom. Um, say like the, the government of Bahrain, like their equivalent of the Ministry of Justice, they have like a whole capacity building program on Zoom and they're like, guys, we're doing like this course, you should join. Um, but yeah, so at least something good happened out yeah. of the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's great. Yeah. Uh, I've got a question related to your job and, and, and being the director of treaties. Um, let's say, let's say, I mean, because we hear about this all the time. So we, we hear that, you know, Oman violated or any other country violated oh. like the human whoa. rights. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa. Whoa, whoa. You go and check whether they've actually violated. Who does the checking? Who does the verification of all of this? This is a hypothetical, guys. A hypothetical. a hypothetical, of course. Yes. Okay. Okay. So number one, the, the international treaties usually... 
uh, the government needs to submit to it. So say if Iran wants to join, like say a human rights treaty, it has to go and say, I will be bound by this. And then I will issue a royal decree. Um, Oman and uh, I don't know about Kuwait, but um, Oman has only joined very specific human rights agreements. So it's some, some like something called CDL, it's like for women's rights, and something called the CRC is for children's rights. And we only recently uh, um, ratified the, uh, the International Covenant on Economic and Social Rights. So, um, but Oman has not actually ratified any very serious, like something that you would think Oman actually violated. And when people say, oh, See, Oman violated this, the most famous one. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, so, the way uh, some international agreements, they would have uh, a complaint or enforcement mechanism. So, say when we signed the free trade agreement with the US, that's an international agreement. And um, under that framework, because it's economic and like, like it matters in a very different way. Um, it has a complaint procedure. So we have a case, uh, it's known, like it's on the, like, you know, you can call it, uh, an American investor yeah. sued the government of Oman on the basis that it violated its international obligations under the FTA. Um, okay. Because that agreement has a framework for complaints, he goes to something called the exit. Uh, that's somewhere like in DC and like you submit a complaint and then you sue them and like there's a procedure and man has to defend itself, blah, 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 blah. And then we have like another legal framework to enforce the decision. For other agreements, there is usually no enforcement mechanism. So uh -huh. something like CDL, um, uh, if I'm not mistaken, there is an optional protocol to allow for a complaint procedure, but the man is not part of it. So you cannot complain in, in a traditional sense. Uh, I don't know if that, if moving, that answers. Moving on, moving swiftly <laughs> on. <laughs> um, uh, I think I think we've got a we've got time maybe for a couple of questions, a couple of final <laughs> questions. Um, so you're obviously a well-established lawyer here in Oman, and you you worked in the government sector. You worked as you never applied for a job, so you mentioned at the beginning. Um, <laughs> yes. So you've worked in the government sector for so long. Uh, yes. for, an up for, 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 for young uh, lawyers, what do you recommend? What would you recommend to them? Would you recommend working yes. in the private sector or the government sector? Um, the thing is, I think traditionally lawyers sort themselves, not traditionally, I think lawyers are like doctors and like accountants, where they see themselves as doing that profession and not do anything else. Um, where like, say, if you study like business in general, you can do anything like, you know, in, in like in, in, in institution. Um, but I think in law, lawyers should like really like see, recognize the other areas that they can like, you know, uh, work in even within an institution. So as a lawyer, not only you do like the legal function nowadays, you can do something like policy, like, you know, policy development that might need like a business function, but you also need legal, something like compliance or even like contract contract management, where like you need someone to like, you know, oversee the, the implementation of contracts. So I think lawyers do have many different functions that are not traditional. Um, when people think of like, uh, as like very high level, sectors they can work in. You can work as, say, an in-house lawyer in the government. You can work as an in-house lawyer in like a business, or you can work in private practice as like in a law firm. And that's also like a totally different um, um, kind of kind of like okay, career yeah. you can have. Yeah. Uh, uh, my experience has been in the government, so that's what I can tell you about. And I think working for the government um, can be challenging because like, you know, <laughs> it's the government. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, but also, but also, like in the government, you can work on things at a national scale and do things that really like have a long term impact. Um, doing something like signing an agreement that something like CDAO or the CRC um, that really like it lasts until the end of time. Um, or you work on like say when we work on like say litigation disputes like in my function. Um, yeah. We work on the biggest disputes like, you know, the country has. And I think it can be very rewarding to work on something, something at that scale or something that impacts like the country as a whole. Um, I think the private sector is also very rewarding. And like I said, it can give you kind of like freedom and creativity that you don't necessarily have in the public. So, Dr. Riyad, as a as sort of a, I would say a final question. Uh, so with with us moving away from the pandemic as inshallah um without any sort of relapse in 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 the current situation that that we have um how how do you see the future of law in Oman and possibly in the GCC like wh- where do you see it going especially with all these um um initiatives to digitalize and to make this information of of the current law more accessible to people around yeah. the region um uh, i uh, i think what governments need to think about and i think this is something that they are actually working on is how to make the lawmaking process more inclusive so when we do think of like what laws need to be made yeah. or how do we modify the laws that we already have we need to think of ways of how we can seek the public the public's opinion on like you know their experiences and their like you know their views on how this should be done if you want to create a law that say governs crypto or like something something cutting edge like this you should actually talk to the industry and and like get their views and the challenges they face um in dealing with the sector is it um, isn't the state council supposed to be providing that help are, are you getting so that help the councilor reminded me the councilor no. is a parliament well the yeah so this the yes, state council, uh, so the major dollar basically that's what i was referring to Yes, so Medina Suleiman is made up of two things, something called the state council, which is like the elected body, and the shura council, which is the, the no, the elect, the, the, the appointed is the state council, and the elected is the shura council. Um, but like the way, at least in Oman, it works now, I believe in Kuwait, it's, it's a bit more sophisticated. Um, but in Oman, like uh, the shura council and the state council do give feedback on the laws. Um, but I think that comes at a very late stage. Um, we have some experiences, say, with someone like the TRA, the Telecom Regulatory Authority, where they want to create a new regulation or like a new governance framework. They just put it online and um, and they get public feedback. They're like, what do you guys think? Do you think this is important, not important? How do you see this article implemented? Do you think the drafting is feasible? The Captive Market Authority also does the same thing. So um, they publish oh, their okay. draft laws and they're like, what do you guys think? Um, in Arabic and in English, so that they get the view, the view of the industry as well. And I think it would be amazing if more entities um, try to follow suit and like get more of the public feedback on what they do. Because I think that's, a, that's the only way to make law that's, you know, visible, reflects reality, and somehow it prepares people for what's going to come next. You don't get like, you know, shocked that like, this law came out and like we have to enforce it. Um, yeah. And Amanda, I think many, 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 many GCC countries nowadays have like visions for the future. And uh, many of these visions have like indicators and KPIs. Some of them are based on international, like, you know, reports. And many of these require a component of public consultation. So hopefully we'll see mm-hmm. more of this public consultation and public engagement uh, efforts. 
I mean, I, I really hope so. I, yeah. When, when you say that, it, it sounds so attractive because you really want to be part of the future. And sometimes, like, especially with the way things have been going recently, you just feel like so isolated. And inshallah, inshallah, yeah. that's, that's where we're going towards uh, better public policy when it comes yeah. to inclusion, especially. Yes. Uh, Dr. Riyadh, on behalf of a lot of Omani people and residents in Oman, we thank you for <laughs> some of the work that you've done. You know, some, a lot of this public information, you've made it very accessible to a lot of people. So thanks a lot for that. And uh, we hope to see many more projects. And thanks again for coming on our podcast. We really, really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for your time. Thank you guys so much. I had a great time and uh, keep up the good work. Bridging the Gap is brought to you by AK, Mohanad and Umar. Music is by Arrowhead. If you like our work, please support us by sharing and liking this audio. Till next time.